My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. You're very welcome to another Irishman in America with me, Jarlath Regan, over here and Marion McKeown over there. You'll hear my voice a bit croaky. It's very early. I was in late recording something last night. So I'll get my apology in early, Marion. <laughs> <Okay. really>, uh, <laughs> my throat isn't up to it today. So I'm going to have to have you do a lot of the heavy lifting. Looks like Donald Trump is going to get, you know, it's terrible when you plan an indictment and then it doesn't happen. I know. It's it's really worse. Do you feel sorry for him? Do you think he'll give all that money back that he raised (laughs) off the arrest? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just I felt so bad for him because he was clearly excited about his indictment. He was planning the photos. Yeah, the perp walk, the hair was ready. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, listen, it's I feel a little bit like I was taken in on the whole thing. Do you feel that at all? That does that surprise you greatly that a Donald Trump prediction or something that he states as fact that like Moses down from the mountain, that it just doesn't happen? Because if we Mm. look at the whole trajectory (laughs) of Donald Trump's career and we're talking about way before he became a politician, it just doesn't tend to happen a lot of times. Mm. You know, predictions just don't tend to happen. Yeah. And you, you, it's funny that even we didn't look under the hood of this at all and go, oh, this is this was never the plan. Everywhere I, I looked, it seemed to be what people were talking about. But it clearly wasn't going to happen and wasn't on on the books as a plan. But he convinced us all that this was it and he was now going to be a martyr. The Manhattan Grand Jury were referring to in the alleged hush money payment to porn star Stormy Daniels investigation is due to take this hiatus and it's planned. This was a long time coming, but it does mean that it pushes out any chance of an indictment until the end of April. Yeah, pretty much. Now, just going back on that, and I think we did say last week that the only person saying that Donald Trump was going to be arrested last Tuesday was Donald Trump. It certainly didn't come from Alvin Bragg's office. There were no leaks from anywhere, law enforcement saying, you know, we're going to arrest him. They did put up the barriers in anticipation of Trump's 
supporters turning up and, and creating a ruckus, but that was after Trump had declared this on his Truth Social, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday, send me all your money, you know, sort of thing. These things take their course, okay? There's no deadline for this. There is a statute of limitations looming in the background that could come into play in about a month or six weeks, but there is no other real deadline. And it was always planned that the grand jury in this case, because Easter's coming up and you've got Eid, you've got Easter, you've got, you know, the, the Jewish holidays, you've got a whole bunch of holidays coming up. And it seemed that the sensible thing to do to, and school holidays and other things that would inconvenience the members of the grand jury. And it was always on the card that, that they would take a couple of weeks off around then to facilitate well, them. Can I ask you, though, the first of all, Alvin Bragg has received so many death threats. There's a powder well, yeah. that was sent. Yeah. This is where we're at in terms of the violence. But yeah. I wondered if I could put to you that Trump's got this a bit wrong in that I don't know if there is going to be violence when you consider what a great job was done in terms of pursuing those involved in January 6th and jailing them. Is it the situation, Marion, that if you're a Trump follower now, you're going, yeah, I love Donald Trump, but I'm not going to get arrested for the guy. And the pursuit of the January 6th people proved that this will happen if you do it. It's so interesting you brought that up because there are so there are a couple of different strands to this. Now, let's go with that first. And that is absolutely valid because Donald Trump, and I remember being at so many of his rallies where he said to his supporters, you know, if you beat the crap out of that guy, I'll pay your legal fees or I'll pay your legal fees or I'll take care of you for this, that and the other. And then January 6th, when he sicked that mob on the Capitol, and there's no two ways about it, he told them to mm-hmm. go there and he told them if they didn't fight like hell they wouldn't have a country and he'd be there with them with them now they like about a thousand have been arrested indicted charged etc etc donald trump who let's not forget raised over a quarter of a billion dollars on the back of his lie about the election being stolen in 2020 did not give a cent of any money out of his pocket, out of that fund, out of any other fund to support these people's legal fees, to support them at all. And it's very interesting now because, as you say, you know, he's saying, go and protest, protest, and a couple of dozen people turn up. And you'll get a couple of dozen lunatics anywhere to support Trump who want to go out and wave the flag and wear the MAGA hat. And they don't need much incentive to do it. They just like doing it because it gives them a purpose. A day out. But the other thing is, you may have seen in Waco on Saturday night, and we spoke about the significance of Waco and the 30th anniversary of the Branch Davidian raid by the FBI and how Waco was the cornerstone, the the springboard for the three percenters and the Proud Boys and Tim McVeigh and all these anti-government, you know, extremist groups. And how for Trump to turn up there on on that night, it's not so much a dog whistle as a full fire alarm bellowing announcement for them to gather and to rile up that very heavily marked armed, very excitable mob of supporters that he has. So he turned up in Waco and one of the things he did do was there's this, I don't know, bizarre thing called It's a Song. Well, let's see, that that might be stretching it. But the January 6th performed the national anthem or one of the US national anthems and over which Trump recites the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, he doesn't rap it or do anything interesting with it. He just, you know, reads it out. And he, he... 
so he's claiming that this is number one now, that this is number one. It's selling more or it's getting more downloads than Taylor Swift or Miley Cyrus and that he now feels like Elvis. Again, more nonsense. But to me, it's interesting that he's now having had a bit of a damp squib with his urge to protest, he's now going back to appearing to be behind the January 6th people who've been imprisoned and jailed and convicted and sentenced when he pretty well had ignored them for the Mm. last couple of years. So it was like, oh, not my problem. And so you'd wonder, is he thinking, okay, you know what? (laughs) I better start looking like I give a damn about these gobshites because otherwise I'm never going to get another protest out of this. And, but you know, it's interesting because I was talking to my dad about this and he said, it looks like that guy is trying to start a war. And you can, it's not an unreasonable thing to say because it really seems like this death and destruction, this, all these threats, all this like trying to rile people up, rile up his base. To what purpose? To what purpose? It mm. seems that violence is the purpose. And you really. I, I to- don't know. Can I, can I ask you there? Sure. Because I, like we've been following it so long now. Yeah. I always think you make the mistake of assuming the not you, but we and people in general make this mistake of assuming he's got a bigger picture in mind when, in fact, I just feel that he works on a day to day basis on who he's arguing with. Now I'm here. Now I'm shouting at mm-hmm. this person. Yeah. And at the end of the day, does seem as simple as how do I get attention? And he might be the greatest person at getting attention in the history of attention. The Waco thing really troubled me because as I understand it, and there's a brilliant Netflix documentary on this that we'll talk about later in the show, one of my recommendations of the week, David Koresh was a paedophile, was a man who had sex with children and this is where you go to do like it's also I understand to be a small town in Texas like there's plenty of other it's, cities that well, he could have I, gone to exactly what? I've been there there's nothing there well it's what a is small no mark town and the only reason he went there instead of Houston or Dallas or well, you know, he probably wouldn't get Austin, wouldn't be an ideal place for him. But there are a dozen towns in Texas that are bigger, that are better equipped. The reason he got off the plane and had to do it in the airport was there's nowhere in Waco to hold a Yeah, where do you, you go? Know. Yeah, where do you uh, go? And when he's there, right, so he, he obviously sits on the plane and leaves people standing out in the sun, yeah. as is his his pattern, then makes the big entrance and kind of shites on for, what, 45 <laughs> minutes to an hour about his That's grievances. That's expression of what, <laughs> of what was going on in my <laughs> He does, the, like, as far as I could see, it's like an hour of, they're out Why to get you? me. I, I'm, yeah. like, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm really, I can't believe this, the Department of Injustice, yada, yada, yada. And then kind of the leap to and therefore you should vote for me and what I'm going to do. Do you get the sense that like we're in the waning hours of this thing in some ways? Because that that part of the speech is largely greeted by silence and kind of people going, oh, I wish you'd yeah. go back to doing the stand-up that he was doing about how everybody's yeah. out to get it's him. It's not entertaining. And he, what he did at his early rallies, and certainly a lot of the ones I attended, was whether you liked him or not, 
you could see he was entertaining the crowd and they didn't go there to really hear about politics. They went there to hear Trump slag off the people they hated because he and Trump, Trump and the crowd, they all hated the same people. And they wanted to hear Trump, you know, call them stupid names and slag them off, etc., etc. But I, I think that the thing with Trump, though, I think that he does see that if he riles up his base, if he causes not prosecutors so much, but police and law enforcement to think that indicting him will potentially trigger serious civil unrest. I think that that is something that's on his radar. I think that's something he's considering. And as I've said to you before, I don't believe Trump is coming with all up with all of this on his own. I believe he's got people like Steve Bannon, who is out for chaos and disruption, yanking his chain and pulling his strings and telling him all this sort of parroting of Mussolini. I guarantee you, Trump probably thinks Mussolini is some kind of a pasta. Like uh, he yeah, is yeah. not a student of history, but God, Bannon is, and other people are, and they know how to provoke Trump, how to make him do the authoritarian strongman. You know, and I really think that Trump is not averse to civil unrest. I think that he sees that as being, as in, we heard from the January 6th committee how he was watching the riot unfolding and it was almost like, look, they really like me. They're really mad. Look what they're doing for me. You know, and, yeah, and it's, it's the ultimate yeah. form of attention, exactly. as exactly. you say. So, so with that in mind, Ron DeSantis, who we've talked about, I've kind of come to the realization this month that this may fizzle for him in that he's just not able to do what we're describing here. He doesn't what? seem to have the chutzpah or whatever you want to call it to be able to just garner attention in that way. But, you know, Joe, How are his poll figures looking? This, yeah, We've been saying this from the get-go about Ron DeSantis. He ain't your guy. He's dull. He's boring. He's got this whiny, nasally voice that you just want to turn off. It's like those people they put on on late-night TV who are trying to sell you, I don't know, a tie presser or something, and their voices yeah, yeah, are so yeah. grating. You just go, okay, geez, I'll buy it. Just shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> and he's got that voice that is really hard to listen to. And he's also a dull guy, and he's also an unpleasant guy. And anybody I spoke to on Capitol Hill from when he was a congressman, Republican or Democrat, said Basically, he was kind of a weirdo, that he was aloof, that he was snotty, that he was chippy, that he thought he was better than everybody else. And he did not do that even in the Capitol gym, which is apparently where they all hang out and back slap and towel snap and all the rest of it, that he would be in there every day beefing himself up. But if he wouldn't even say hello to anyone, like even Republicans, mm. we're not talking, even his Freedom Caucus buddies, he would just ignore. He's an odd guy. And I don't think, you know, Richard Nixon was an odd guy. Okay, fair enough. But I don't think Richard Nixon didn't have TikTok and Twitter. Yeah, different and, era. You know, different yeah, era. It, was, it was a different era. You could get away with being odd then because you had three news channels and that was it. Uh, yeah. So I don't think he can get away with being odd. And I've never thought he was going to be the alternative to Trump. I still think it'll be somebody who'll sneak in like a Pompeo. I don't think Glenn Young and I think he's just too wimpy and Mr. Uncle Roger with his fleece and all that. But I think that it, somebody else could sneak in. But I think the point you made earlier is a good point about Trump. His crowds are getting smaller. There, there's no doubt about it. What I saw at CPAC, it was like the air was slowly going out of the balloon. And the other thing, as, as you mentioned before I cut across you there, was that 
when he spoke at the rally and when he spoke about DeSantis and oh, Ron, and he starts imitating him, the crowd just went completely quiet. They just mm. went completely quiet. They didn't cheer. Like whenever Trump slagged off other people like Jeb Bush or even Ted Cruz or whatever, they would roar laughing um, yeah. and cheer him on. When he does this with DeSantis, they, they kind of go quiet. They're not quite it's funny because sure it's are. like it's like new material that's not hitting. Uh, yeah. And, yep. the, you know, you go as a comedian, you go to small yeah. comedy clubs <laughs> and you work this stuff out. Yeah. The only place he can work it out. <laughs> yeah. The only place he can work it out is in a giant airfield in Waco. <laughs> uh, or CPAC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or CPAC. And when it doesn't hit to that many people, yeah. that's really not hitting because, but you know, uh, if you're so playing to such a large number. DeSantis, yeah, that I think yeah. he's going to keep doing it because mm. I think he, he does fear that DeSantis could take this nomination from him. And I or, think that he really feels the only thing he can do is to muddy DeSantis. And, but he's doing it also in other ways about policy. It's not just, oh, you know, He's a stupid guy, but DeSantis is kind of doing a lot of Trump's work for him because even this Disney stuff this week where it turns out that Disney and you kind of, you know, Mickey Mouse is a lot more like Tony Soprano than we might have thought. But, uh, I'm going to have to lay off. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. For, yeah, first of all, Disney lay off 7,000 people, but then this whole thing about Reedy Creek and DeSantis firing the Disney board and having a coup and taking it over with his nominees, etc. And Disney was kind of going, yeah okay okay and I kind of wondered at one point well why aren't they taking this to court why aren't they challenging this very arbitrary and vindictive move against them and sorry just for the gang out there this is in the context of when Disney came out and protested DeSantis's don't say gay law and you know Charles one other thing the don't say gay law as we spoke about last year DeSantis said oh it's to stop sex education or any kind of gender identity being discussed with children up to I think it was third grade 10 year olds we'll say and I remember we were saying yeah that would be fine if it was just that but there was a clause in it that said DeSantis could change that anytime he wanted to any age he wanted so he could say at any time and it's not just 10 year olds now I'm putting it to 18 year olds and guess what that's exactly what he has done that's exactly what he did last week he said I'm changing this now I want to extend it to throughout primary school and we're looking at middle wow. high school as well so you know no surprise there but what Disney did when he said he was taking over their Reedy Creek special deal that they have a real sweet tax deal they've had there since 1967 they sort of said okay and so they were put he was firing all their boards and he was bringing in his board. And but what the outgoing board did was they enacted a final thing that basically says DeSantis's board can do nothing for the next 30 years because they've done all this grandfathering and sunsetting of regulations furiously behind the scene. So basically, DeSantis's board are going to be sitting there twiddling their thumbs for the next 30 years, and there's nothing they can do to change what Disney's corporate structure is in Florida. And apparently this is making DeSantis look pretty damn stupid and he is not liking it at all, that he got defeated by Mickey Mouse, basically. But as you said, the Disney layoffs, that, that's an interesting, you know, it was coming down the pipe. Everyone knows Disney overpaid ridiculously for Fox Entertainment when they bought it back in 2019. And so as a result, Disney is now laying off about 7,000 people. But they start, they're laying off some really senior, it's not just the grunt workers at the end, it's not just the people who are 
wandering around Disneyland for 10 bucks an hour. In fact, they're keeping most of them because they cost them almost nothing. But they are laying off a lot of their senior people, a lot of their vice presidents, the head of Marvel, a lot. So it's very sort of interesting the, the way Bob Iger is approaching this. It's almost like he's going to war within Disney. So, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a, a whole bunch of stuff this, going on there. A lot of people from this metaverse, 7,000 employees yeah. are expected yeah. to be laid off. That, like, that must be a, like, here we saw Accenture doing similar. Right, yeah. And my father-in-law turns to me and goes, what's going on? Why would they do this? And the only thing you could think to yourself is they know something we don't know. And when we looked at Credit Suisse and we looked at, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, we were all told it was a ripple in the water. Is there any concern over there that the ripples are getting larger and that this could turn into a wave? I think that there's there has been expected since the end of COVID that there, you know, it's very interesting, the delusion that people laboured under during COVID and indeed after COVID, because COVID was a time when all the tech stuff, all the online wellness companies, the online entertainment, the streamers, they all went through the roof because people were stuck in. They had nothing else to do except yeah. watch crap on Disney and order crap online and Look at Gwyneth Paltrow's crappy wellness, you know, site or whatever and laugh about the prices. More screen time than ever before. Exactly. But now people are back to semi-normal and they're not watching as much TV and they're not ordering as much stuff online and they're not that interested in a lot of what is being shown on Disney and other channels. So I think that there was always going to be a sort of a realignment and a re... You know, this happens that things things just change. You have a bubble, you have a boom and a bust. And we had a sort of a mini boom bust, especially in the tech, you know, era during COVID. And I think that what Disney is doing now is it's saying, okay, you know what, we haven't got kids and adults and teenagers in front of their tellies or on their their iPads 24 hours a day anymore. It's back to a couple of hours a day. And do we really need all this? And as I said, also factoring in that they ridiculously overpaid for Fox Entertainment, 72 billion, I think it was, or was it 92 billion? Anyway, up in the billions, it wasn't worth half that. And I suppose now they're having to trim the fat and pull in the belts and all the other things, you know. So they Final, I, final I think, question, though, I would yeah, need sure. to ask you about Ron DeSantis before we get off. This is obviously his area. The whole His whole battle with Disney is so well known and it's probably earned him an awful lot of recognition with people. These kind of big swings at bat going for these huge home runs that he thinks will play to his gallery. His response to the potential indictment of Donald Trump is being used against him by a lot of voters who would have described themselves as DeSantis sympathetic, that they would potentially consider voting for him, but they love Trump. At the end of the day, that's where their heart belongs to the orange guy. And it seems like he didn't say what they wanted to hear in relation to this indictment. First time I've ever heard him say anything mildly amusing. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, he won't try that again in a while. Yeah, he said, well, you know, uh, well, that he doesn't know because he couldn't speak to what goes into paying a porn star that he had an affair with. And he was he was kind of sort of put, sticking it to Trump in a way that I think he thought was subtle, but clearly it wasn't that subtle. And it did antagonize the Trump supporters who felt he was mocking their leader and how dare he. DeSantis is 
it kind of, it to me, it sounded very scripted, and it sounded like something that one of his advisors said, "Oh, come on, Ron, you need to sound a bit more fun. You need to sound a little bit more Trumpy, maybe." And it didn't work because so many people have said this: if you get down the mud with Trump, it's like wrestling a pig. You know, you'll come out worse, but the pig will enjoy it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, the pig beats not, you with experience. You're just not going to win, and the pig loves getting muddy. It's, yeah. it, it just, it, but also, it's there's yeah. all this talk of alphas. I heard a discussion of this, like, who's the alpha? Is it DeSantis? Is it Trump? And the line that he gave was so kind of, as you say, schoolyardy. He probably thought he was doing you know, the right thing. But really what he needed to do was say, I'm actually in a position of power here. I'm in charge where I am. And yeah. this shit would never fly. Exactly. with me in charge. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it brings me to the final, final question on this. The polls keep getting brought up in relation to DeSantis and Trump. Yeah. It, it's, it seems like such a damp squib. It seems so silly to listen to polls, especially mm-hmm. after how wrong they've been in the past. Mm-hmm. Why have? Why does it seem that everybody's forgotten how inaccurate these things were? Why are we back believing them when we know now that many Trump supporters simply won't interact with polls or give accurate answers to pollsters. Exactly. They don't simply, they don't trust pollsters. And also, I've spoken to a lot of people at Trump rallies who love Trump, but who say they're there to see him, they're there for the show, but they're really ambivalent about whether or not they do want him to be president, whether or not they do want him to run again, whether they want him to be the Republican nominee, because a lot of them do believe that he might not win. And if he wins, it'll just be indictment central all over again. Now, I think that the one other thing I should say very quickly here, Gerald, is that just to put the whole legal thing in perspective for Trump at the moment, Trump has five criminal investigations ongoing and he has five civil investigations ongoing. That's 10 different trials in total, okay? So he is up to his eyeballs in legal writs. Now, the one that we spoke about, the Stormy Daniels one, it's kind of the most sensational because it involves payoffs to a porn actress and it's the most salacious and Michael Cohen running against him and now God knows what David Pecker said about Karen McDougal, the Playboy model, etc., etc. But it's actually potentially the least damaging legal case for Trump. And I mean that in a sense of, A, if he's convicted or if he's indicted, because not just that his supporters really don't care that he paid off a porn actress, they could care less, but also it's very unlikely he will go to prison for that anyway. So I think that you can, the ones that are much more serious are the two in Washington that Jack Smith's bringing, the one about the theft, because it is theft, of the classified documents from the White House and his obstructing of their return. That is, you know, Smith pretty well has that to rights. There is so much evidence. You know, the, the Stormy Daniels case is tricky legally for a number of reasons. And I won't get down the weeds of that one. But the, there is very little doubt and very little ambivalence about the criminal aspects of Trump. As I said, first of all, taking the documents from the White House, the highly classified documents, and then refusing to return them and concealing their whereabouts. The other one, the January 6th trial is 
going ahead at a rate of knots at the moment. You've now got Mike Pence is being forced to testify and he's quibbling about that and blah, 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 being Mike Pence, you know, chalk dust in his veins about it. But Mark Meadows, which is really serious, is also compelled to testify now. Now, I suspect Mark Meadows will just go in and plead the Fifth Amendment. But even that, even the fact that Trump's chief of staff is going to have to do that very likely is really serious. And then, as we've said before, you've got the Fannie Willis case in Georgia, where if she isn't hobbled by the Georgia legislature, which is quite likely at the moment, she's got a case. She's got the phone. She's got the tapes. It's the evidence in that case is overwhelming. So these are much stronger and more consequential cases. And there's also a piddling little case up in Westchester is also a criminal case where Mimi Roca, the local DA, is looking into Trump's inflating of, you know, the values of his golf courses up there and then deflating them. And then, as I said, you've got the civil actions. So almost in a way, the Stormy Daniels, the legal action that's the least consequential criminally and politically is the one that's getting all the air. And you wonder if Trump isn't doing this deliberately, if this isn't why he's going, you know, protest, I'm going to be arrested. Because the other ones, it's almost like, look at this dumpster fire over here. Don't look at the other ones, because the other ones are much more serious. Wow. Well, uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what the coming weeks hold, because obviously, Mm -hmm. as we said at the very start, there's that hiatus for that grand jury. What will they they do with that time? And even if they do, Alvin Bragg may still decide not to prosecute. So obviously all this frenzy has been whipped up entirely by one person, and that one person is Donald Trump. Well, speaking of frenzy, the killer of three children and three adults at a Christian elementary school in Tennessee apparently bought numerous firearms in the weeks leading up to this mass shooting this week. Audrey Hale, who's 28 years old at the time, was under a doctor's care for what seems to be an unspecified emotional disorder of some sort at the time of the rampage, yet was able to buy these weapons. This seems cut and dry, but you're not going to believe some of the responses from Republicans to this tragedy. Marion, when you read how Republicans can turn this devastatingly sad situation into an anti-trans diatribe, do you think to yourself, fuck this, I'm out of here. I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You must have moments where you think just when they couldn't stoop any lower, they do. Yeah. And just putting that into context, today, Kentucky overrode a veto by the Democratic governor in Kentucky to introduce the most anti-trans laws so far in America. Now, that's just, as I said, for a little bit of context. And I've spoken to you a lot in recent weeks about the war on trans in America, and I find it so disturbing. And of course, the person who ran with this, lest anyone be surprised, was Marjorie Taylor Greene, who immediately posted, and I think she's been suspended, I hope so, as a result, a load of anti-trans stuff on her her Twitter account to basically blaming trans for this, you know, trans people for this in general. But this is one of these things, Charles, where you think they're actually really is no solution to this. Now, there are partial things that can be done to mitigate the severity and the number of fatalities. You know, there are partial things, but overall, I don't see 
any end to this kind of thing. There will be more school shootings this year, as sure as we're talking now. There will be more children killed, not just hundreds, but probably thousands by the end of the year as a result of gun violence. There will be another 40,000 adults killed as a result of gun violence by the end of this year. And that is just going on consistent statistics over the last several decades. So let's just talk a little bit about this. And the reason I say that is that a lot of things were done right in this situation. She bought those weapons legally, Audrey Hale. I'm sorry, Audrey Hale, Aidan Hale, I think, was was the name that that was changed to. And, you know, I'm not clear and I I don't want to talk about the transgender aspect because I did call the Nashville police and they weren't clear from what I could see whether or not, in fact, Audrey Hale was transgender. She did ask to be called Aidan Hail from, you know, from a couple of months ago back and she was using male pronouns on her website. But it seems that there hadn't been any other moves, either medical, hormonal, anything else, you know, other Mm. than that. So I don't know what the status was, but it seems it was very, very early into, you know, a a trans journey. journey. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she was receiving help from a doctor for an emotional disorder so she, you know people talk about oh the things you always hear after gun shootings is oh the shooter was mentally disturbed and they got no help they were being ignored nobody realized it and oh the weapons they bought were illegal weapons they shouldn't have ever had them or they were criminals and they should never have had those weapons and all these kind of excuses and oh the police didn't respond quickly enough and you know also that the families didn't report the warning signs so there are always these mitigating excuses given but this time she was seeing a doctor she sent a series of text messages to an acquaintance of hers who wasn't really a close friend but Mm -hmm. indicating she was going to commit suicide and that something bad was going to happen that person really promptly got in touch with the police could not have done it more by the book, if you will, and was rang an emergency line, was told, oh, you need to call a non-emergency line, etc. But she did her bit. She didn't ignore it. And, you know, the weapons were legally bought. There was no question that that she had done anything illegal to get those weapons. Now, had Tennessee got red flag laws, it's arguable that her doctor might have said this woman shouldn't have guns. But, you know, as a rule, the red flag laws tend to be, I think, skewed towards men that they I don't think a lot of the medical profession or people do believe just because historically, I think it's overwhelmingly white men who commit mass shootings. It's overwhelmingly young white men. So I don't think even if there had been a red flag lawn in Tennessee, that it would have caught her, to be quite honest. So and then you had the police who did respond textbook. They were in and out of there. It took two minutes for them to get into the building to locate her and to what they call neutralize her, which was to shoot her dead. But it doesn't matter because there are still six people dead. And so even though the Republicans are talking about all this, like, isn't it great? The police response, oh my God, they're heroes. Tell that to the parents of the three nine-year-olds. Tell that to the family of the headmistress, of the school janitor and of the substitute teacher who was only in for a couple of days to replace another teacher. And to me, it really makes me so angry. And I've heard guys like Mike Pence do this so often, where they will ignore the killing of children. They'll go, well, weren't the police great? It could have been Mm. so much worse. And it just, it really does 
make me so angry when you Mm. hear that. And that's always the response. But this time, the response was even more callous. And you had one, uh, Tim Burchett, who is a congressman for Tennessee. Now, he was stopped outside Capitol Hill by a couple of reporters. And he was asked, well, you know, are, are you now going to do something, another school shooting, more small children killed? And he basically said, oh, no, I think Congress only makes these situations worse. And then he was asked, because he has a nine-year-old daughter the same age as the children who were killed, was he not concerned that it could have been his daughter? And his answer is, oh, no, we homeschool. That's how we deal with the threat of gun violence in schools. And I just, my jaw literally dropped. And I just thought, you know, so you have the time and the money and the space to homeschool your child and God help the poor child, because homeschooling to me is not ideal for any child in what I've seen and know of people who do it here in the States. And But he's saying, screw the rest of you. I'm all right, Jack. I homeschool my yeah. kids. So I don't really care. Explicitly. About, explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. And explicitly you, said that. Well, so he's kind of saying, no, 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 let's keep guns. Let's just get rid of schools. I mean, that's the subtext. You know, schools are the problem, not guns. And but just the indifference. And these are this is his state. These are his constituents. And he just this kind of shrug. As I said, I'm all right, Jack. My kids homeschooled. So why should I give a shit? I just could not believe it. And then, as I said, you had all the other people who were asked about assault weapons and banning assault weapons, the Republicans. And it was like, absolutely no, no way. Biden calls for it again. And he wants to call out Republicans and Democrats are trying to force a floor vote just to make Republicans say, no, I want, despite the fact that assault weapons are used in 85% of mass shootings and school shootings, despite the fact we've had 13 school mass shootings in schools so far this year, more than one a week, despite the fact we've had 130 mass shootings in general this year, more than one a day, we're fine with assault weapons. And there's a weird thing that has happened, and I think it's worth talking about, and I've seen this just from, you know, NRA conventions that I've been to in the last couple of years, and I'm going to another one, God help me, the week after next in Indiana. But when Bill Clinton banned assault weapons back in 1994, there were probably about 100,000 assault weapons in America. They were around 1% of the total of all guns that were being manufactured then on a yearly basis. So in fact, it was quite easy to ban assault weapons. They weren't really a big thing like they are now. 10 years later, George W. Bush who was bought and paid for by the gun lobby and by the weapons industry, let that ban on assault weapons expire. He refused to renew it. And assault weapons then, in the post 9-11 sort of that sort of overheated atmosphere as well, people started buying assault weapons and you had white militia groups that were buying up large piles of assault weapons. But it was, it's really only been in the last couple of years, six, seven years. And I'm not saying it's connected to Donald Trump, but you can trace it back to around then, to the America first MAGA, white supremacist, white nationalist surge that, and, and at the end of the Obama era as well, that people started buying assault weapons in significant numbers. So there are now at least 20 million assault weapons in private hands in America. At least 20 20 million. million. 
that we know of. And I I spoke with with a friend of mine who's in, well, he's no longer a Pentagon official, he's a retired Pentagon official, and he said he thinks it's closer to 30. He said if you include the MCXs and the AK-47s, as well as the AR-15s, he said you're talking 30 million. Now, what's happening is at the moment in America, assault weapons in the weapons manufacturing industry, as I said, it's gone from 1% of their total output to a quarter of their total output. And that means that every year in America, the weapons manufacturers, a quarter of all the weapons they're making are assault weapons. Now, that to me is really, really chilling because the damage... And these are all going into private hands. These aren't for the military. This is Mm. for people to have for their own private consumption. So when you look at the damage assault weapons do and the speed at which they can do damage, and again, just to put a little bit of context here, there's a reason assault weapons are the weapons of choice for 85% of mass shootings, because an assault weapon can unleash 100 bullets in under a minute. There is no handgun or rifle on this planet, no matter what bump stocks or anything else you get, that can do anything close to that. And it's not just that. The difference between the damage that a conventional 9mm bullet, that would be a handgun bullet, can do versus the difference that an assault weapon, the damage an assault weapon can do, it's an assault weapon is like a bullet from an assault weapon. It's like sort of shooting a small bomb into your body. And that's the only way I can describe it. It explodes inside your body and the damage it does is catastrophic. It's very, very hard to survive even one bullet from an assault weapon if it hits any part of your torso or head. You you won't survive. I mean, um, and, um, yeah. So I don't know what... those unsurvivable bullets basically in a in under a minute in a confined space and there is no reason for any civilian in america to have an assault weapon now you know what i'll go along with i've lived here long enough i've spoken to enough people there are a lot of people that i know who are friends of mine who passionately defend their right to have a handgun or a rifle whether it's to defend their home against attackers whether it's to go shooting whether they're ranchers with farms whatever reason, but they respect guns from what I've seen. They now I may not agree with them, but they you know they don't have guns for a sort of a macho swagger, that kind of whatever. They have guns because they believe they need them and they believe they're entitled to them. We may totally disagree with that, but you know it's a difference. There is a difference now and the difference to me is interesting because before it was all about the right to bear arms. It was all about the Second Amendment. Now I'm seeing a difference between gun owners and people who are passionate about the Second Amendment, where several of them have said to me, yeah, you know, absolutely defend the right, but I don't think we need assault weapons. There's no justification for assault weapons. So there is a fracture there, but that fracture really I have met, like, if you go to a MAGA rally or an NRA convention or whatever, they all want assault weapons. And if you go to Congress, one of the things that I've noticed recently from, you know, when I was in Congress in, in January and February uh, earlier this year is, <laughs> excuse me, um, bless you, a lot of these Congress people are wearing little silver 
AR-15 guns on their lapels and on their ties. And it's basically, screw you, libs, we're keeping our assault weapons. So it's become another cultural flashpoint. It's not just guns. It's this particular gun that they are determined they are going to hold on to and they're going to buy more and more of and nobody's going to stop them. Absolutely terrifying. The pell pin that you're describing here it is a middle finger, right? It is Absolutely. deliberately designed to agitate. And I yeah. can't imagine how hurtful it must be for anybody who's lost yeah. someone to this terrible yeah. thing. And that makes me think that it could backfire at that, you know, when there's so many people that have been affected. I mean, you're talking 6,000 American children in 2022 were either killed or injured yeah. and they're and saying you know, it's the leading cause of death for children in the states it's overtaken car accidents because until about 2019 car accidents were way the commonest cause the commonest cause of death amongst young children and you know children and teenagers as well now um and then you had childhood cancers and then you had accidents like accidental suffocation choking accidentally getting poisoned by prescription drugs or whatever. And you also had gun deaths somewhere in the middle there. Now, gun deaths are the single highest cause of deaths amongst American children. And putting this in perspective, you rightly said there over 6,000 were killed and injured in 22. 3,000, I believe 3,500, and I think it's 89 children were killed last year by guns. Putting that in perspective, that's around the number of people who were killed in Northern Ireland in 30 years of violence. Wow. It's around the same number. And that's just one year. And that's just children. In total, over 45,000 people were killed in America last year as a result of gun violence and not just being shot or murdered, suicides as well, because it's a pretty easy certain way to to commit suicide and apparently this this audrey dale this shooter was her plan was to commit suicide and you just think for god's sake you know why did children have to die for you to achieve your suicide by cop aim you know and and because apparently that was the end game in this so it so for people to now democrats on the hill as well i've seen several of them who also are wearing miniature assault weapon lapels with a big red like a no parking or a no you know that traffic sign with the, yeah. with the circle and the line through it so on one side of the aisle you've got the the ones who are wearing just the assault weapon symbols and on the other side you've got the democrats who are have the ban assault weapon symbols but you know what it's all theatrics to a degree because they're not going to be banned. And that's the bottom line. And school shootings are going to continue. And that's the bottom line as well. And another 45,000 people will be killed in America this year. And already several thousand have been killed. It's well on its way to keeping up the, the, the statistics. So nothing is going to change in the foreseeable future. I think that's the really depressing thing. It doesn't well, matter who gets we, killed. Uh, yeah. He, in Better news, Judge Eric Davis, the Delaware Superior Court oh, yeah. judge overseeing the Dominion voting systems, mm-hmm. $1.6 billion defamation suit against Fox News. He's not buying it. He doesn't appear to be buying the news organization's attempts to keep Rupert Murdoch from taking the stand. Not having any of it, oh, no. right, Marion? He's having none of it. He's having, and, and you know what? 
good for him is what I say, because uh, this is, you know, American judges, when they are good, and I don't mean just when they have rulings that you find or I find personally appropriate, but they do tend to be good. He's been handling this case very, very well. Now, this came down to what you're referring to is Dominion went in with a witness list and there are over 50 witnesses that they want to call on it. And of course, understandably, Rupert Murdoch is number one, Lachlan Murdoch, and then all of the Tucker Carlson's, the Lou Dobbs, the Maria Bartomo's, uh, etc. They're all on the witness list as well. Now, Murdoch, quite interestingly, it seems very, very happy to throw Lou Dobbs, who's already been fired, and Maria Bartomo under the bus and go, yeah, you know what? <laughs> You know, screw them. Like basically get them on the stand and grill them seven ways to Sunday. And he goes, but I'm, you know, to infirm, I'm a 93-year-old man. But the judge pretty well said, I hear you get married for the fifth time. <laughs> and that's great. And that, that doesn't sound like an infirm person to me. And I also hear that you constantly travel between your properties in LA and London and Montana and New York and God knows where else. And so it's not really that much of a stretch to go from New York to Wilmington, which is about an hour and 40 minutes by train, basically, because I've done that trip several times. So the judge is giving him no hop, and I think deservedly so. And this trial is scheduled. There'll be jury selection from April 13th to about the 15th. It's scheduled to start on Monday, on the April the 17th. I think it's a Tuesday, actually. And, you know, I think I hope to be there to cover it. I think it's going to be if it goes ahead and if there isn't some way found of delaying it. And of course, high price lawyers are paid more to delay trials and derail them than to actually win them a lot of times. So we'll see if there aren't more delays. But but it is not looking that good for Fox News at all. Now, I've never thought Dominion will get 1.6 billion. And I don't think Smartmatic, which is another case coming down the pipe, will get 2.7 billion either because their companies are worth about 80 to 100 million each. But I do think that, you know, the fact that a, 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 a business that presents itself as a serious news channel, it's called Fox News, that it peddled and endorsed such blatant lies knowingly just because it, it basically was concerned about its ratings is something that most jurors are not going to look favorably upon in in my view i really think this is going to be a tricky tricky case for fox and deservedly so Wow. Well, the same kind of tactic was used in the Gwyneth Paltrow case this week, and we covered it. It's, I love like, this. Oh, I, I, love a, it. I know. I've got a. I've done a total flip here in terms of my support for Gwyneth um, Paltrow. I'd love to hear your take, Marion. I was worried about you last I, week. Now, Jarlow, truth be told, I thought I thought you were drinking the Gwyneth Kool Aid, the Gwyneth thousand dollar a bottle Kool Aid. Uh, well, you know, that's just it's not her fault that she's paid that much at the end of the day that's the money she has i mean she she's worked very hard for it i just started to think well why would she bother her whole being in court uh, exactly. like when as you say like you pay this guy off and it's over but i think it's a point of principle and what's been really really made me smile was first of all her response on the stand to some of the questions have been oh, truly <laughs> boss bitch stuff if i could use that term <laughs> really superb but also under intense grilling this week sanderson of course the man accusing her of this assault yeah. 
was shown photographs culled from Facebook showing this man who's supposedly traumatized by the whole event off on his holidays <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> floating down the Amazon, smiling his head off in the Netherlands, Morocco, Thailand. Yeah. God, he was so traumatized he had to go on holidays. His re- best response ever to being shown these photos, he said that the happiness was just reflexive. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> points a camera at me, I smile. Uh, what, have, what has been your take of this? Because a lot of people will, when somebody goes, you know, whatever, they will put on a stupid grin. So, but I found this something, it's, it's almost a satire. You wonder what somebody like Jesse Armstrong, the writer of Succession, would do with this. This is too rich overprivileged white people and even the skiing is such a metaphor for overprivileged for you know like it's and I, you know, there's nothing wrong with skiing I don't ski but I know loads of people who do and they love it and but the, the, this level of skiing for Gwyneth Paltrow okay so the context of this again is that Gwyneth Paltrow had just met her husband to be Brad Falchuk and they decided they want their children to have a get-together now they couldn't have a get-together over a pizza in Pizza Hut or whatever, or what most kids, you know, would do, or a video game or a walk in the park. They had to be taken skiing and they had to have an individual ski instructor each at a cost of almost $9,000 a day. So each of the little darlings had to have their own ski instructor. And then there was obviously, you know, Gwyneth and and the future husband as well. Why does this bother you so much that they had their own ski instructors? I don't understand. They cost $1,800 a day for for each kid. Why couldn't they share one? People living uh, in India would go, and they have their own. This Marion McKeown woman, she orders three coffees a day. I mean, I just think it's all relative. Like for Michael Jordan, no, gambling on no. golf was like putting a tenner on was 10 grand. But you know what? I don't think it's all relative. I think it's all ridiculous. I think that a gang of kids and like these kids were what, like nine and 11 or whatever. And that it's just treat them like kids for Christ's sake. You know, give them like take them on an expensive holiday. Sure, by all means, you can afford it and good luck to you. But really, but anyway, so this was the the, the, the bits. There are several bits I love. This week she was asked about you know and when she was on the stand and she's got this face you want to smack i'm sorry but she really does marion no no i am sorry but she's got this sort of supercilious waspy kind of look where she sticks that little nose in the air and and sort of looks down it and and then you have the fangirl lawyer for the other side for terry sanderson who's who's saying to to gwyneth oh my god you're five foot ten i'm so jealous i'm only four foot in heels and gwyneth goes Oh, but they're very nice. <laughs> and and then this she's is going, actual dialogue from the case. Actual dialogue from the case. Oh my and gosh. then this this lawyer, who I hope Terry Sampson isn't paying her much, um, says to you know she's got this obsession. Like, are you friends with Taylor Swift? Are you friends with Taylor Swift? Oh, I hear you gave her an intimate present for Christmas, and it's like she's a fangirl, and all she wants to know about is Gwyneth's fabulous life, and she's kind of sucking up her in this weird clawing way and and you're just going oh my god and then 
the guy who's on on Gwyneth's side, Dave, Dave Owens, his second name is I can't remember his first name. He's up and he's attacking the children of this guy Terry Sanderson and saying, "Yeah, your dad's a psycho," and blah blah blah. And then he has to apologize, and he gets into this fixation about anal retentive and anal and is anal a word that should be used? And then he comes back and apologizes, and <laughs> says, "Sorry, I was being a bit of an ass," and I don't think he even meant to be funny. <laughs> And I'm just you're going, what in the name of Jesus? But then Gwyneth is asked how this impacted her, this accident, etc. And she goes, because this other guy has, you know, brain damage and he's got four broken ribs and he's unconscious and whatever else. And 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 she goes, Well, I had to miss half a day skiing. <laughs> and it's like Devastating. read the room for Christ's sake read the room and, and you just but then this other guy because I'm the opposite of you George last week I was more sympathetic towards him now I think you know both of them one's as big an idiot as the other He's his lawyers are saying that one of the big miseries of his life now is he used to go wine tasting all the time wine tasting was to these far-flung fancy places and now he can't taste the wine as well as he used to and talk about designer the judge should just fuck this out the judge should just throw this whole thing out like find them both i I, yeah stop wasting our time you know like if anything she could have sued him as far as i'm concerned he did smash into her and then realized later who he smashed into and decided oh geez there might be a few i'm going with she smashed into him I'm going with you, Smashing Tim, because on the basis, there's only one witness who saw what happened. Now, admittedly, he was in Terry Sanderson's party, but he said that he saw it. Gwyneth Paltrow has no witnesses who saw anything. She has her instructors who have, you know, sound suspiciously groomed, shall we say, to me. And then she was going to put, this is the other thing, she was going to put her children on the stand who were 9 and 11 at the time as witnesses. I mean, for God's sake, how could nine and 11 year olds even remember what happened back then in 2016 or whatever it was? They're now 16 and 18. And then instead of that, obviously somebody said this ain't a good look, but then their depositions were read and, you know, mommy was very upset. And and it's like, yeah, they're her kids. What what evidentiary value does any of this have? And I think that the yeah. only, and again, I'm kind of putting on the legal hat here. The, you know, she had all these lawyers who she could afford to pay and, you know, reconstructors who made these sort of animated things of what they say happened. But that's not proof. I could do mm. an animation of me skiing down a ski slope in my head. It doesn't mean I did it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm more likely oh, to ski down in my head. But I do really think that the only witness that we have, and, you know, his credibility is a matter for the jury, is the one witness who said he was in a party with Terry Sanderson and he turned around and he saw her slamming straight into his back. Uh, so, and, and then, of course, we have forgotten, because this is the gift that keeps on giving, how she sounds like some Victorian virgin where she goes, I thought there was a man behind me and I heard this manly grunt. <laughs> which is him and she thought that she was being sexually assaulted and I just thought again Marion I don't know you know a bit of vulnerable women feel in these settings if you're a superstar you're aware that someone can just you know batter you over the head when you're out in public at any moment and that's why they have security if I'm Gwyneth Paltrow and some big dude is on top of me all of a sudden 
and his skis he's are forcing short. my legs apart in the, <laughs> in the moment. He's quite short. He's not a, he's not a big guy. But apart uh, from that, I actually don't, you know, that would presume that she's telling the truth about him skiing into her. And so far, we have not seen the evidence to support that. Well, look, uh, I hope we never <laughs> have to talk about this again. I, I recommend it. Stop. It's the only it's the, it's the only court case I think we've ever covered where you just don't give a damn who wins. It's just, <laughs> it's ridiculous. The whole thing's ridiculous. Well, this weekend I will be in Cove at the Sanyo Sullivan 10-mile road race. Uh, I won't be racing it, but I will be doing it at a very easy pace. I'm looking forward to that. Best of luck to everybody heading down. I recommend you check out Waco, American Apocalypse. This documentary I mentioned is on yeah. Netflix now. Uh, season 4, Succession, Delivering All You Wanted, Marion. Oh, yes. And then some, gosh, he really is awful, Logan Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's all we have time for this week guys okay. thanks so much for supporting our show and being patrons here on patreon please spread the word if you know someone that would love what we do that's how that's how this show works we don't have a marketing budget we need you guys to tell people or give us a rating a comment on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast uh, marion thanks a lot we'll talk to you next always week. always a pleasure take care Charles. take care Look how I'm geeking up. I'm so pretty. I'm on Gucci. I'm so pretty. I'm on Giddy. Watch me move. This is Sally. That's a tool. On my Kodak. Black. Ooh, know that. Ooh, get it. Ooh, work it. 100 bands, 100 bands, 100 bands. 
contraband, 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 contraband. I got the plug on a hawker. Whoa, they gonna find you like Baka. America, I just checked my following. Listen, you motherfuckers owe me.